Matthew chapter 16. We're going to look at two more questions, one today and one next week, uh, just because I was going to finish it before Mother's Day, but these other two questions that Jesus asked are so important that I don't want us to miss them. Uh, Jesus always asks questions to challenge thinking and to ramp up the call to commitment in his followers. And so today we're going to look at another one of those, those questions. The backdrop here, part of the context, is that he's in Caesarea of Philippi, which is located north of the Sea of Galilee. And it was kind of a hub point for Jesus' ministry during different parts of his three years in ministry. It's at the southwest slope of Mount Hermon, and, and we talked about this about five or six weeks ago. And this place, this area, was long associated with idol and pagan worship practices of the people in that area. And I find it interesting that Jesus would come at this time in his ministry, at this time in his disciples following, and literally he would call them out. He would challenge them against this pagan idol worship backdrop and say, I got some questions for you guys. And this is really kind of in the same passage almost that we took the first question where Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, oh, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, ah, you get it. You understand. But, but you didn't get that by yourself. There was revelation from the heart of Father God that revealed that to you. And so he shares that. And then remember, you know, Peter's the guy that has mint-flavored sandals. Every time he would open his mouth for good, it would also be bad. And Jesus says, boy, that's, well, I'm going to build the church on that. And then he says, and then he says but I'm going to die, you know. It's going to end. And Peter goes, no, in no way. It can't happen. And then Jesus says, well, that's Satan talking. So it's funny, you know, he gets this great revelation, gets an A plus, and then all of a sudden, man, he fails the course, and uh, Jesus challenges him. That's kind of the context now this morning of what we're going to look at. So we'll pick it up in verse 23, where Jesus says that. Verse 23 says this, uh, but Jesus turns and he told Peter, get behind me, Satan. He's saying, you're like Satan right now. And I'll probably help you understand why Jesus said that in just a moment. He says, you are an offense to me because you are not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. Don't we all have a tendency to do that? Well, here's what we're looking really at today, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come with me, if anybody wants to follow me, he's got to deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. We're going to kind of look at those things today. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will find it. What will it benefit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his life? That's the question we're looking at today. What will it benefit a man or a woman if he gains the whole world but he loses his life? Or what will a man give in exchange for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will reward each one according to that which he has done. You understand there is a great, home, there is a great homecoming. There is going to be a day of reward. And sometimes we forget, loved ones, that what happens in eternity really is tied in to what happens in the temporal. 
a lot of times Christ followers, we kind of want to run our own program. And, and, and we think that God's just kind of loosey-goosey and that he's just going to let everything go and, and that when we get up there, everybody's going to be treated the same. But how you live here, the decisions you make here, the way you serve and live and follow Christ here and, and, and do what he says here has a great determining factor on what you're going to get to do there. Luke 19 and Matthew 25 really talks about that. So remember that. Uh, I think I said it last week or at one point, but never forget the, uh, the, the, the privilege of doing a good job and being responsible is a bigger job and more responsibility. And heaven's going to kind of be like that, except not in the context as we know it. Most of you are sitting here, many of us are sitting and thinking, that's all I need is more work, more responsibility. Wow, what a privilege. Um, but up there, it's going to be different, and it's going to be kind of a God thing where you'll go. There will be something that, that is right about that there. So Jesus, he comes to this important message, and in verse 23, it's interesting that when Jesus was tempted in, in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4, what was one of the temptations that Satan gave to him? He said, listen, if you'll just bow down, guess what? I'll give you all of this. You won't have to die. Take a shortcut. Don't go through the pain of dying for these people. I'll just give this whole kingdom to you. And Jesus said, no, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take a shortcut. Isn't that interesting? Because that's what Peter says to him. Take a shortcut, Lord. You don't got to die. Are you kidding me? We're not going to let that happen. And Jesus says, you know what? You sound just like Satan a couple of years ago. And so never forget, this is what staff and I were even talking about this. And I think I've said this to you before, did a little teaching on it, but uh, I really believe this based on Jesus' life. If you study his life, everything that he always did was about taking the hard road. He'd come to the hard road. Do I want the kingdom my father can give me or the one Satan can give me? I've got to die here. I could just have it handed. Okay, I'm going to go here. I'm going to die. Everything that Jesus did was always about taking the hard road, the difficult way. And I think there's a powerful principle and lesson for every one of us in this room. Shortcuts are shortcuts for a reason. And they will never get you where you need to go and become the person that you need to be when you take shortcuts. We were talking about this in staff. It's the same way in ministry. It's the same way in life in everything that we do. I always challenge people, take the hard road. Think about it in your marriage. Hard roads. I mean, it's, you, know, you can take shortcuts there and you'll pay for them. Think about your finances. If you're not taking the hard road there, you're going to pay for it down the road. And it's the same thing with following Jesus. If we're not really pressing in and doing what he says, there will always be a payment on the back end. The investment strategies of Jesus are so powerful when he says, follow me. Follow me. Because he says a couple of hard things to us. He says, come after me and deny yourself. Now hear me, it's really important, loved ones. You, you've heard me say this before, but in case you're new or haven't been around for a while, I am one that believes, I, 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 I celebrate I say this to people all the time, especially when we're golfing. Don't you love where we live? I mean, it's so, I, I, I always think, I go, God, why did you put me in this place and not India? You know, where all that, I don't know, except I just believe two things, that it's, he's sovereign, and number two, he says, because I put you there, you better be responsible with what I'm going to bless you with. But I tell you that because sometimes there's, there's two extremes in Christianity where we think God owes us the blessing. You watch TV preachers and they'll tell you that. You should have everything God ever wanted you to have. Well, you should have everything God ever wanted you to have, not just what you want. That's one extreme. 
And then the other extreme is you got people that say, oh, no, man, you just got to be poor. And in both of these extremes, you can't have anything. If you're going to love Jesus, you just got to give everything away. Somewhere in between, you got to understand the tension and the balance of Scripture. Because Jesus blesses and gives to us so that we can be a blessing to others, that we can help others. But it is never meant just for selfish ambition or personal pursuits. Paul said it this way when he was writing his mentor in the faith, Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6-7. He said, God richly provides us with all things to enjoy. The key thing is that you enjoy them and you own them, but they don't own you. Remember the Pharisees, why were they so upset with Jesus? Well, because he was kind of a party animal in a good sense. He would go and he would eat with the riffraff and the, you know, the not-so-good people of the day, according to the Pharisees, and he hung out with them. And so they, 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 they were mad because Jesus enjoyed life and everything that they had and, and everything that he could participate and be a part of. So that's what Jesus, he's not saying that you need to become a monastic, but he doesn't want you to be kind of like the Epicureans who said, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die, or some kind of monastic monk that says, you know, get away from everything and don't enjoy life. There's a balance in there. So what I'm talking about today, when I'm talking about denying ourselves, it's not about just giving everything up. The denial when Jesus says, I want you to come after me and deny yourself, he's really talking about kingdom living. He's talking about these interpersonal things. He's talking about these inner workings, these things like the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, where he talks about that you need to become lowly. You need to become humble of, of, of a person. You need to be a person that is forgiving because you've been forgiven. You need to become a person who is loving because and kind because God has, has expressed his kindness and his love to you. A lot of this is this internal kingdom working out of his life. See, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to follow him, it doesn't take much of a man or woman to do so. But I told the guys on Friday, it will take all of that man or woman to follow because Christ's demands are very stringent. They're strong. They are great. Never forget that the gospel, the good news, salvation that Jesus brings costs us nothing. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You will never deserve it. It's the best deal going. Jesus says to us, in essence, I will take the blame for all the things you did wrong, and I will give you all the credit for the right that I did. That's what Jesus does. And that's why it's so easy to follow him or to make that initial choice. It's like yesterday, we had our golf, our men's golf tournament. And I got to golf with these guys that I haven't golfed with before. And uh, I always get the newbies and just happened to be, they were really good. Shucks. <laughs> and we're golfing, you know, and I, my game has kind of been not so good in the last year. And so we're golfing and and I, could, I just wasn't hitting the ball very well. These guys were just killing it all over the place. And there was kind of this sense, oh, he's the poor preacher, can't even golf. And, uh, you know, so, so we're playing. And they didn't say it this way, but it was kind of like, just hang on, preacher, we'll take care of you. Just, just, just stay with us. Roll with us, and you'll be all right. Well, we had a really good round. And, um, and, and I thought, you know, that's just the way the Lord is. Just roll, just, just, just run with me, follow me. I'm going to take care of you but you got to stay with me. you got to make the decision. 
God's grace is like that. It costs nothing. But hear me, loved ones, it will demand everything of you. I love what Mark Batterson said. He said, we are too Christian to enjoy sin and too sinful to enjoy Christ. See, we want to buy in, but we never want to sell out. And as I read that, I thought, is it any wonder why there's so many people that get caught in the quagmire of religious activity and they never really grow in Jesus and move forward in Christ? Never, I mean, they just, they just kind of do this religious thing. Jesus is saying to us that the key to fulfillment is ultimately self-denial because self-denial is simply delayed gratification. And Jesus says as much, he says, I assure you that, listen, there's going to come a time that if you will live and deny yourself and follow me, not only will you experience the benefits here, but there's going to come a time when in the ultimate kingdom, in the eternal kingdom, the same thing, you're going to experience the blessings and benefits as there as well. So Jesus is saying there's something about self-denial which is simply delaying the gratification of the things that we want here on earth. Um, I read this this week. This is great. In 1972, I just want to read this to you, but 1972, Stanford University psychologist Walter Michel conducted a series of studies on deferred gratification that had been popularized outside the academic community and become known as the marshmallow test. The original study was done at Bing Nursery School with children ages four to six. A single marshmallow was offered to each child. But if the child could resist eating it right away, he or she was promised two marshmallows instead of one. The researchers analyzed how long each child could resist the temptation. I've got a grandson, and this is so true. Uh, some kids grabbed the marshmallow the moment the researchers walked out of the room. Others mustered as much willpower as they could, employing a variety of temptation-resisting tactics. They sang songs, they played games, they covered their eyes, they talked to themselves the entire time. Some even put their heads down and tried to go to sleep. Well, the you can just see little kids doing that. I mean, you've seen your kids do that. The objective of the experience was to see the ability to defer gratification correlated to long-term academic achievement. The academic record of the 216 children who participated was tracked all the way through high school graduation. When those longitudinal results were cross-referenced with de delayed gratification times, researchers found a dramatic difference between the one marshmallow now and the two marshmallow later kids. The kids who exhibited the ability to delay gratification longer were more academically accomplished. They scored, on average, 210 points higher on the SAT, and the marshmallow test uh, was twice as powerful an indicator of academic success as IQ. The two marshmallow-later kids were also more socially competent. There was a marked difference in self-reliance and self-confidence. They also took initiative and handled pressure more effectively. In a follow-up study done with these children when they were in their early 40s, researchers found that the two marshmallows uh, kids, uh, later children, had higher incomes, stronger marriages, and happier careers. The net result of these studies of this goal, they found that they were more goal-directed, self-imposed, delay of gratification is a powerful indicator of future success of any endeavor. The, the focus there, loved ones, is academics. 
But see, Jesus here is talking about self-denial, delayed gratification. Remember we talked about this briefly, that, he, that one of the fruit, the delightful, delicious fruits of the Spirit is self-control, which is, which is really this exousia, this, this power to be able to say yes to the right things and no to the wrong things. I, I, I see this all the time. There's hardly a week that goes by now in this church that I don't either deal with the aftermath of it or I get to deal with it on the front end of people who live this out. The one marshmallow people who just can't say no to the things that God says, say no to this, say no to this, say no to this, say yes to this. And I get to begin to see the fallout of that, the brokenness, the pain, the hurt, the things that they can't do now because... They don't live in the spiritual realm of self-control that God has given to them. Sometimes, loved ones, we forget that when Jesus says, don't do that, do this, don't do that, do it's for our benefit. He understands how we're wired and how we're made. And we're gonna, you'll see this in just a second on another piece, but not only are we supposed to deny ourselves and follow him, but there's this place where we're called to take up the cross. You'll hear a lot of different people say different things about this, uh, take up your cross. Let me tell you what it's not. Taking up your cross isn't suffering with asthma, having joint issues or heart problems or even cancer. So, well, you know, well, God just kind of gave me this cross to bear. Got this thing called, what, and, and that's not it. See, taking up your cross means that you identify with Jesus to the point of his suffering and his shame and his rejection and that you would say that I am willing to do that as well, that in this life, it's not about being some kind of stupid religious person at work and making everybody uncomfortable because of your faith and religion, but there's a sense that when it's time to stand up, you've got to stand up and you've got to say, I will face the rejection, the ridicule. Uh, e even the potential death. We are so blessed in the United States, that isn't a problem yet. But if you're watching the news and the Supreme Court and everything that's going on there, uh, listen, loved ones, don't think for a moment that there's not beginning to be this groundswell of backlash that's going to come against the church and you. I've faced it in the last couple of weeks. Because when, when you have to make stands for righteousness that are based on this and not feelings or perspective, you will experience backlash. And Jesus says that ultimately that's what taking up your cross is, that you will do it to the place, you will commit to God's will to the point where you would be willing to literally die for him. Disciples understood what this meant. See, the Romans, they used crucifixion as a common method. Jesus is trying to get to them, I'm going to die. But, but, but crucifixion was really the, the kind of the, the execution of choice for condemned criminals so that they would see the pain and agony of it so that it would curtail uh, what, what other people would do. So they usually had to carry, what a criminal would have to do, they'd have to, like Jesus did, carry their cross through town, experience the public shame of that, and then to the place where they were going to be executed, and then they'd be executed. What we see is that, that, that when we take up our cross, it is something that you have to choose to do as you follow Jesus. It's not something that you have to put up with. Jesus is trying to communicate to these guys in the 
backdrop of this pagan culture, what I want you to see is, is there's going to be a cost to this call. Historians tell us that the disciples, you know, that uh, how they died, uh, James, one of the ones that was closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John. It's interesting that Jesus took them and on three different occasions talked about death with them. Because when James died, uh, he was martyred, and they literally cut him in half lengthwise. Um, and we understand that Peter, we're going to talk about Peter in this where, it come, where Jesus talks about this next week, where, where, Peter, where Jesus says to Peter, you're going to die. You're going to die crucified. And we understand that Jesus, Peter, when he was going to be uh, crucified, he said, I don't want to die like Jesus, my Lord. Do it upside down. So that's how he died. And then John, for whatever reason, of all the disciples, wasn't martyred. But we know, history tells us, that he was actually put in a vat of oil and they were going to try and boil him to get death. We don't know what happened to that, but he didn't die. He probably died of natural causes into his 90s. See, that's taken up our cross. It's interesting that when we think about this, that the cross is central to our lives. I don't know about you. You know, we've got our cross up here. We've got our crosses that we wear around our necks, don't we? They're kind of pretty, and they've got sometimes jewels in them, or they're gold or silver. I used to wear one. But see, in that culture, they would have never worn a cross. It would have been like today. If you took an electric chair, you know, this gold electric chair and framed it, and you put a nice little gold chain around it, put a couple jewels in it, and stuck it on your neck. You go to work tomorrow. Wow, that's pretty. What is it? Oh, it's an electric chair. <laughs> you know? That, that, I mean, culturally, that would have been what it would have been like. And we kind of take for granted that this is a cross. This is a symbol of death. And Jesus says, that's what I want you to take up. Be willing to die. And then he says, whoever, whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is talking about an inverted kingdom. Isn't that kingdom so counterintuitive to what we do today? I mean, just listen to Jesus. He says, you know, forgive so that you can experience forgiveness. Give so you can receive and then Jesus gives these profound words, save your life. If you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for me, you'll save it. And we could list out a lot of things that Jesus said that were just so counterintuitive to how we live today. Not the irony in his teaching here. The more you live for yourself, the more miserable you'll be. But get this, you give your life to me, you live for me. Say, Lord, I'm giving everything to you completely, wholeheartedly. The more abundant your life will become the greater joy you'll have. Isn't that kind of true? Some of you in this room have experienced that. That there was a time where you quit living for yourself and you said, man, I'm going to push in the chips. I'm going to cash it all in on Jesus. And from that time on, your life changed drastically, dramatically, and made some of the biggest difference in your life. I remember how it changed me when I decided to say, okay, Lord, I'm not much, but you can sure have it all. And I've had a great life. It hasn't been pain-free or struggle-free or anything, but I couldn't imagine where I'd be without Jesus. And some of us have experienced that. I was watching a 30-30 on SportsCenter a week ago, and it was about the Ohio State Buckeye football program and about this, this um, great running back, Maurice Claret, that, that come out of uh, high school. 
in kind of a poor part of, uh, it, was, I think it was Youngstown, Ohio. We went to Ohio State on a full-ride scholarship. Everybody wanted him. He was great. Got injured a couple times his freshman year, but did just was, was a great running back. But he was so great that everybody threw money at him and women and drugs and everything, and he just, he, he just took a U-turn, a side turn, and got in trouble with the NCAA, couldn't play football for a year. That <laughs> led him to go in and just really start doing some criminal activity, and finally he gets, uh, he was um, uh, broke and put in jail. Interesting thing is, is that his, his time in jail, he literally found himself. And in this interview, you know how he found himself? He was talking about the blessing, and I, I can't remember if he said God or not. I can't, but but, but yeah, I, I think that there was something of the life of God that he found in jail. And he had such ministry there, or such opportunity. He was serving all of these inmates, and he was talking to them about how he was changing his life in prison. And he became such a model of, of prison decorum in terms of goodness that they finally pulled him inside and said, Maurice, we're going to take you to a less secure jail that isn't quite so stringent. You know what he said? I think he had like a year to go. He goes, no, this is where I found myself. You know why? Because I'm serving and I'm helping these other inmates. And so he stays in this, in this secure, kind of lockdown type prison, state prison for another year so that he could help these people. Now he, he got out, I can't remember what year, but he's doing, doing pretty well. See, there's something, loved ones, about when we, we begin to lose ourselves for Christ. We begin to serve others. We begin to serve him, that it begins to make all the difference in the world. See, this puzzling statement here about losing your life and finding it, it's made clear as we see the word and the verbiage here. Uh, in some of your translations, the word is life. In some of it, it's, it's soul. But it reflects the, the Hebrew usage. The word in Hebrew and Greek, it can be either way. It can be a suke in the Greek, and it means your soul. Probably a great part of that would be your inner being and your personality. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew, in the Hebrew, excuse me, in the Greek New, uh, New Testament, the word for, words are often used in a way. This is so much that Jesus is warning us about losing our life. It's about losing our psyche. Not losing our life, but losing oneself, our personality, who we are. And he's saying, if you want to find out who you really are, if you want to know who you really are and what you're really about, lose yourself in me. Isn't that what you hear? Isn't that how some of us have felt? We were lost. We were, I mean, we were wandering. We were off the charts, not knowing what our life was about. We were all like a Maurice Claret, that we're just, we're just criminals. And all of a sudden, we come to Jesus, and he begins to give us this understanding who we are, what our purpose is, what we're to do, who we're to become. And that's what Jesus is saying here. When you choose to follow me, when you choose to deny yourself, when you choose to lose your life for me, you'll find out who you are and what I have for you. But that's why so many people struggle because they don't know who they are and they're not becoming the person that Jesus called them and made them to become. There's probably some of us in this room that because we really haven't begun to work through this process, we're doing some religious things, but we're not following Jesus in a way where we can allow him to work through those times when we're denying ourselves. 
And we wonder why we're not moving forward, why we're not becoming more like him. It's because we're not denying ourselves, delaying gratification. We're not saying no to this, yes to that. So here's this question. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Planning for retirement is really important. It's good, it's right, and it's wise. But not planning for the afterlife and after death is not only disastrous, but Jesus says to us, it is foolish. Let me give you a passage from Luke chapter 12. There's this guy who runs up to Jesus, two brothers, and they want him to figure out their inheritance for them. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to recuse myself from this. I'm not going to be a part of that. But let me tell you a story about your greed that's really at the issue of this. It isn't about divvying up what you're going to get. He says this. Then he told them a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. But he thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? Ah, I will do this, he said. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all my grain and all my goods there. And then I'll say to myself, self, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy. Eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Basically do what you want. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stores up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. This guy, he's got bumper crops. He doesn't know what to do, so he says, I'm just going to build more, get more, make room for more, have more, enjoy more. And he's got all this wealth, but he forgets about the swift suddenness with which death can come. It's pretty poor estate planning for a brilliant financier who had gathered everything up in his barns, except he missed the understanding of what true life is. And God says, tonight your soul is going to be demanded of you. That happens when we don't invest our heart and we become rich towards the things of God. Isn't it true, most of us, a lot of us, and this isn't, there's good and bad to this, we save up, we work for, we store up, we invest our emotions, our self, our soul, our personality, who we are to get things. Maybe it's a house for the first time, maybe it's a new car, maybe it's whatever. You know what we find out? It all fades, it's all temporary. I bought a new golf club a few months ago, a couple months ago, used it, Hit it great a couple of times, and then after I started hitting it bad, it was like, what a waste of money, you know? Anybody want to buy a club? <laughs> you know, it's always the club. No, it's me. But, you know, and then, and then, you know, you get a new car, and all of a sudden the smell begins to diminish. You know, that really cool new smell? What do you want to do? Oh, forget this car. Let's get another one. I mean, we, we, we are just, we we're so ingrained. If you see a commercial, it's never going to talk about the temporary fulfillment of whatever it is you buy. This is going to change your life. But you see, everything that we get is ultimately temporary satisfaction, temporary fulfillment, temporary meaning. 
and there's just an incredible emptiness in it. Everything's temporary in this room, you know that? Everything. Well, not everything. But think about your life. We got our house. You can tell I'm a grandpa. <laughs> this is temporal. Maybe do this sometime this week, just for fun. Go through your house. What's temporal? My house. I love my home. But you know what? It's temporal. Some of us, oh boy, I just got a new curved TV, 64 inches, high def. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. Just go home today if you spent, you know, two, $3,000 on it, put temporal on it. <laughs> I love vacations. I love to fly. I love to go places. But you know what? I never want to live to do that. You know, my goal isn't just to retire so I can fly around because you know what? This is what I know. It's temporal. It has no eternal value. It's a plane. Some of us, you know, some of us even in this room, probably not a lot of Creeksiders, but some of us, we got things, we wear a mask, things behind us that nobody will ever know. We come and we got this image and we wear the mask and you know what, there's going to time come a time we stand before God, it's going to be temporal. That mask will come off. Some of us, our identity and values found in we're great skilled people. Man, we can work and we can work hard and we can do great things. That's temporal. Go over here. Some of us are business owners. We're business for self. We've done a great job. We've got this great business and we do it. We run it and we're proud of it. Guess what? It's temporal. Some of us, we've got nice cars. Hey, I, I think nice cars are great. Yahoo. Guess what? It's temporal. Hey, I had to bring this out. This is my trophy. Fantasy football at Creekside. I beat all the staff, some of you in this room. I love that trophy. Staff comes in, I make them rub it. You know what? Doesn't matter. It's temporal. And they'll tell me that. I love golf. I've got golf clubs, I've got golf balls, I love to play. Some of you got hobbies. Guess what? Get those hobbies and just get a little, it's temporal. Never forget that, loved ones, because it's so easy for this culture and this society to get its grip on us. And then we forget, we lose our self, our personage, and our personality in stuff that is temporal. His pastor went over to this house of this family that he'd never met before. They were newer to the church, and he walks in. He's driving up this hill, and he sees, man, this is one palatial place. He walks in in this home. It's like a mansion, million dollars. He walks in, and there's three living rooms they go through to get to the two to get to the third one, and it's sunken down, and it's got this really, really white carpet, and it's beautiful, and you know this pastor's kind of looking around. He's just you know some podunk guy, and and he's looking around. Whoa, this is beautiful. Sits down and kind of gets lost in the beauty of the thick carpet and all the opulent furniture and decorations around. And he's looking around. And all of a sudden, he looks at the centerpiece. Um, on a glass table in the middle of this beautiful living room, and he sees this peanut butter jar with dandelions in it, and he's thinking, "Well, that's nice. Not that's ugly. What the, you know?" And 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 the the mama looks at him and says, "I see you notice the uh, 
centerpiece there. He goes, yeah, yeah, that's, it's really nice. And she goes, let me tell you, you know, you know we've got two children, but we had a third one that died of a drug overdose just a couple of years ago. When that little boy was little, he would come in and he'd grab a jar, peanut butter jar, any kind of jar out of our kitchen. Sometimes they'd be really dirty. And he'd go out and he'd get flowers and he'd want to bring them in and set them up in this room. I was too busy to work with them. I was too busy to want to do anything with them concerning that kind of thing. And definitely I would never let him set something in this room like that. She goes, you know what I learned after he died? From that point on, every week we put a new jar, new flowers, new dandelions in the middle of this house. You look around, Pastor, you see all the nice stuff, you see the carpets, you see the furniture, it means nothing. You go out in our garage, we've got beautiful cars. They mean nothing to us now. We still got them. You know what matters? What matters is the people around us. See, loved ones, you know what? There are a couple of things that are eternal in this room. You know what they are? It's this thing called the Word of God. This 2,000-year-old book is eternal. Heaven is going to be run on this. And never forget that the, heaven is going to be run on that, and that's why we need to live our lives by it today because it's not going to be any different when we get up there. What else is eternal? Don't ever forget how eternal this cross is. This is the way to salvation. This is the way that we reach people. This is the life that we speak to people because without the cross, there is no salvation. There is no forgiveness of sins. That is eternal. When we get to heaven, we're going to see Jesus' handprints. We're going to see the scars in his side. It's going to cause us to bow. This is Ed. He's eternal. This is Christy. She's eternal. And guess what? I can put a stick on every one of your shoulders. You know why? Because you, you, we are eternal. And that's why Jesus gives us these mandates. Because he says, I don't want you to get caught up and I don't want you to get lost in the temporal. The people that Jesus died for through the cross, when you leave this life, when you take your last breath, what do you want to have your life said about you? What do you want people to say? Man, nice stuff. Oh man, they got to go everywhere in the world. What do you want them to say? What's your life going to be rich in at the end? The two things that will make you rich in Christ's eyes are a relationship with him and your relationship with other people that he died for to redeem with his love and his grace. And now he calls you and I to be part of that process. All of this is in the context. It's on the heels of the confession about the church that Jesus says, I'm going to build that thing on called out people, people like you and you you. And if you know Jesus, you are the church called out to him to be a redemptive influence out there. And sometimes that's going to mean you deny yourself. You pick up your cross. Yes to this. No to that. That's the challenge today, loved ones. 
That's why Jesus gives us this powerful invitation. Follow me. Not lag behind. Not get ahead. Just follow me. Stay close to me so you can see me and hear my voice.